Hey, good morning. My name is Kevin Russell. I'm the groups and disciple-making pastor here at Genesis Church. I'm excited to be here with you all this morning. Uh, I do have a little bit of a cold, a little congested, so you might have to bear with me. Um, <clears throat> if I get into a coughing fit, just be patient. It usually only lasts about five minutes. Uh, let, me, uh, let me pray for us uh, as, we, as we start our morning. Father, um, thank you so much uh, for your son, and thank you for uh, your love for us. And uh, Lord, I trust that you have good plans uh, for us this morning. As we open up your word, God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and uh, open up our ears. Lord, would you help us hear from you? Would you speak to us? Father, some of us uh, need encouragement today. I pray you would encourage us. Some of us need correction. Would you correct us? Uh, Most of all, God, we just want you to reveal yourself to us, Lord. We want to encounter you today, and uh, thanks for... uh, uh, good worship this morning. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would just teach us through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> if your family is anything like mine, from time to time, maybe on Saturday morning, you enjoy going to get a good box of donuts for breakfast, right? My family did this this past uh, yesterday morning. I love donuts. Uh, I kind of have a kind of have a weakness for donuts. My kids love donuts. I could go to the bakery this morning. I could get a half dozen donuts and eat them all in one sitting, okay? I I'm, just want to confess to you. In fact, this past week, uh, at a staff meeting, someone brought in donuts for our staff, and there were a couple of dozen donuts, and I'm just going to tell you, I ate four. There you go. <laughs> I have a problem. And now, my wife, she likes a good donut from time to time, but my wife takes a different approach. She will usually typically only eat like half of her donut in the morning, and then she leaves the other half for some time later in the day when she wants to eat the rest of it. This is a very unloving thing to do to a guy like me. I don't understand this. Uh, I find it hurtful. It's unloving because now I have to go through the whole day looking at that delicious half-uneaten donut that is screaming out to me saying, please eat me. And I have to somehow resist that temptation throughout the day. It's not uncommon for her to do this and for me to snag an extra bite or two of that last remaining. I always leave her at least a bite, and then she'll inevitably come to me and say, did you eat some of my donut? And I say, yes, baby, I can. And she'll say, you know, you have a problem. I say, yes, I know I do. I do, yes. The temptation is just too great. I cannot resist the temptation. We all face temptations every day, right? If you had to identify two of three of your greatest temptations, maybe you don't have a temptation to eat donuts, but maybe you have other temptations. What, what, what would you say is some of your greatest temptations to sin? Let's do this. Turn to your neighbor next to you and just tell them, like, if you had to pick one temptation that is, is your greatest, go ahead, and go ahead and turn to your neighbor and tell them that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It was a joke. I'm just kidding. Half of you are like, oh, I'm leaving. No, I'm just kidding. We're in week two of our series, Romans 8. If you have your Bibles, uh, you want to turn to Romans 8, or if you want to grab maybe one of the Bibles that are under the seats around you, um, we are going to be in Romans 8 today. And today, I want to show you here in Romans 8 how we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation in our life. You know, the Bible says that and teaches that we we face three sources of temptation, Satan, the world, and our flesh. Satan is the great tempter. He successfully tempted Adam and Eve to sin in the garden. 
He unsuccessfully tempted Jesus to sin in the wilderness, and Satan is still at work in the world today. That's the second source of our temptation is the world. We live, we live in a sin-soaked world that is full of temptation. As a man, I am constantly bombarded with the temptations of lust and sexual images. It's impossible, it's impossible to watch TV, to go to the mall, or to even drive down the expressway today without having sexually explicit images thrown at me. But that's just one kind of temptation to sin. There are countless others in our world. Take, for example, the world of social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest will bombard you, will bombard you with different kinds of temptations every day. We're constantly, through the social media, looking at everyone else. We're looking at what other people have. We look at what other people are doing. We are constantly looking and evaluating what other people are accomplishing with their lives. We look at what they look like physically. We listen to them voice their opinions. We voice our own opinions. And this is all a perfect storm that daily pre presents us with temptations to be greedy or to covet, to be discontent, to be unthankful, to judge or to gossip or to slander others who may be different than us, to be prideful or self-righteous because we think maybe we're a little bit better than others in some way. Our world is just full of temptations. And so you have Satan and you have the world, but then there's the third source of temptation, and that's our own flesh. That's our own sinful nature. And last week, Steve talked about, he looked at, we looked at Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, which says we are free, we're free from the law of sin and death, and now there's no condemnation for those, who are us, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. However, while we are free from the condemnation of sin, we are not free from the influence of sin. That's the problem we still face. Our sinful nature, our flesh, can still have the power to negatively influence and control our lives. In fact, let's look back at Romans 7 quickly before we get into Romans 8 and listen to how Paul describes this influence, this control that our flesh, that our sinful nature can have on us. Read with me. Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Paul says this, so I find this law at work. Paul says, I find this law at work. He's saying, I find this to be true, or here's the reality of my life, Paul is saying. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. I want you to listen to that. I want you to point out a couple phrases there he uses. Number one, he says, I see another law at work in me. His sinful nature is still at work. And then he says this. He uses the phrase, waging war. That's a strong phrase for Paul to use. Strong terminology to describe this internal battle that Paul and that you and I face and that we constantly face every day. Let's look over at Galatians, where Paul again addresses this battle. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. Paul says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and what is the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. Listen to this. They are in conflict with each other. So you're not able to do what, whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The desires of the flesh are 
contrary to the desires of the Spirit. They're in conflict with each other. The New Living Translation says this, these two forces are constantly fighting each other. This is a problem we need to solve. This is a problem that you and I are facing. We need some resolution here. While we are free from the law of sin and death, our flesh still has the power to influence us. We've been given this uh, amazing gift. We've been given the gift of salvation in Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us. But if we want to experience this reality in our everyday lives, we must make an active choice and an active effort to live according to or under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, we see that the Bible doesn't deal with us or address us as some kind of machines. We don't automatically live by the Holy Spirit. We have a role to play in this relationship. We, we have the Spirit of God living in us, but we, we must choose to follow the Holy Spirit. On November 16th, 2008, my wife and I got married. We have uh, been married for eight and a half years. We have three small children. We have a fourth child on the way, which we found out this past week is going to be a little girl. So we are excited about that. We have three girls and a boy. I say that out loud publicly, I get a little overwhelmed. <laughs> it's a lot of estrogen in our home. I took Gideon out the other day. I was like, buddy, it's just going to be me and you, man. <laughs> but we've been married for eight and a half years. Uh, we got married on November 16th, 2008. But one of the things I've learned in eight and a half years of marriage, and many of you have learned, some of you have been married for decades, is that you get married on, on your wedding day, but you have to make a choice to be married every day. Some of the greatest conflict in our marriage is when I act like I'm still single. When I'm selfish and I think about my own needs and my own interests, and that, causes, that causes great frustration for my wife, right? We have to consciously make the decision to choose to be married, to pursue our spouse, to love them and to serve them and to grow in that marriage relationship. Well, the same is true in our relationship with God and specifically in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so our question today is, is how do we live according to the Spirit in order to overcome the temptations and the sinful desires of our flesh? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us great insight into that very question in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. So let's read this together, Romans 8, 5 through 13. And I want you to see that Paul is going to compare and contrast two ways to live, two kinds of life, if you will. A life lived according to the flesh and a life lived according to the spirit. Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. He's describing two types of people. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Verse 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And the opposite is under, implied. Those who live according to the Spirit do please God. Verse 9, you, however, he's writing to Roman Christians, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness that Jesus acquired for us. Verse 11, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that same power who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit that lives in you. The same power that enabled Jesus to live a righteous life, to die on the cross, and to raise from the dead is the same power that you and I have 
in us. Verse 12, that's unbelievably good news. Therefore, because of that good news, therefore, verse 12, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to live according to the flesh. It's to live according to the Spirit, Paul's saying. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Okay, Paul said a lot there. Let's walk through this and see what we can learn about living according to the Spirit versus living according to the flesh. Let's start with verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those who live according accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. First, I want you to notice this. Both the flesh and the Spirit have desires. The ESV uses the term things instead of desires. So to live according to the flesh is to set your mind on the things or the desires of the Spirit. And to live according to the Spirit is to set your mind on the things or or the desires of the Spirit. Did I say flesh? You know what I'm saying. What are the things, now, what are the things or the desires of the flesh, and what are the things or the desires of the spirit? There's two other places where Paul very clearly addressed and he compares and contrasts these two ways to live. Let's look at them. One of them is in Galatians chapter 5. Here's what he says in verse 19. He's going to describe what it looks like to live according to the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those are the desires and the things of the flesh. Now, let's see the desires and things of the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Can you see how the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit are direct opposite and in a direct contrast? Let's look at another place where Paul compares and contrasts the two. In Colossians chapter 3, he says much the same thing. Verse 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. He goes on to add some more. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. So he, there's the flesh. Now he's going to shift gears. He's going to compare with the spirit. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and I would add, filled with the Holy Spirit, clothe yourselves with what? With compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another as any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay, we have a good, good picture of what is what it looks like to live according to flesh and what it looks like to live according to the Spirit. When we see these sins in our lives, sexual immorality or lust, or we are greedy, or when we get, uh, have uh, unrighteous anger, or when there's malice in our heart, or when we slander someone, or we use filthy language, we are living under the leadership of our sinful nature, the flesh, when we see those things in our lives. Uh, but the opposite is also true. When we see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, when we are compassionate and kind, when we're humble and gentle, when we forgive and love, 
When we display these things, we are following and submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit because those are the things and the desires of the Holy Spirit. So, those are the images of the fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of the flesh. The question is, what role do we have to play in this? Well, let's look back at verse 5. Paul's going to give us some good indication. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set, have their minds set on the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What's our role? Look at that passage. What are we to do? What's the command that we're supposed to put in practice in that verse? We set our minds on, it's, it's where we set our minds. We set your mind on the things of the Spirit. That's the first thing you can do to live according to the Spirit, to walk according to the Spirit, to overcome temptation and sin in your life. Number one, you have to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, Paul says. Let me ask you this morning. Where's your mindset? Where's your mindset? Where you set your mind determines your motivation. It determines how you act, the choices you make. Where you set your mind shapes your values and your priorities. Where you set your mind shapes the way you view the world and the people around you. And where you set your mind will ultimately determine how you live your life. The phrase set your mind is really one word in the Greek. It's the word phroneo. It means to direct one's mind to a thing, to seek or strive for, to interest oneself in with concern for obedience or to pursue. So recently, uh, last year, at the end of last summer, I was given a, a used bike, road bike. And uh, I haven't ridden a bike since I was like a kid. But I got this bike and I thought, that's great. You know, apparently everybody in Hamilton County rides a bike. Like, it's everywhere you go. So if you're going to be a part of this community, you've got to ride a bike. Uh, but I thought, you know, this spring, I've, uh, because of all the donuts I've been eating, I've been putting all the weight. <laughs> so it's time for me to lose the weight. So I've set my mind on fixing up that bike and l learning to uh, ride it for exercise. And so what have I done in the last few weeks? Well, I've gotten on some websites and I've had to look up uh, some different things. Like I've had to change the handlebars. Uh, I'm retaping the handlebars. I've had to get new brake cables. And so I've had to get in to uh, YouTube and watch some videos on how to do those things. I'm also watching, <laughs> I'm also, my wife is, is uh, afraid I'm going to uh, hurt myself. And so, uh, she's, uh, so I'm on YouTube watching videos on how to ride a road bike safely, you know, because I, I don't want to die. And, um, and so, yeah, and so then there's a, I found a bike store in Fishers where my wife and I live, where I'm probably going to go and, and, and uh, you can get, they'll help you get fitted for your bike to make sure, you know, it fits you well so you, it's a comfortable, healthy ride. And so I'm like, and there they have classes on how to like ride for fitness. And so what have I done? I've set my mind on riding a bike. I've set my mind on exercising. And so what have I had to do? I've had to pursue those things. I've had to interest myself in those things. Here's what I want you to see this morning. As Christ followers, we must make a conscious, intentional effort to think about what the Holy Spirit wants for our lives and to think about how the Holy Spirit wants us to live on a daily basis. This is why it is so critical that you study God's Word. You cannot know what the Spirit desires for you unless you are in God's Word. When we read and study God's Word, we are setting our minds on the things and the desires of the Holy Spirit. When we think about certain truths or commands in Scripture, we're submitting our thoughts to the Holy, the Holy Spirit's leadership. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, he quotes Scripture. Why? Because that's how he had meditated on Scripture to overcome the temptations that were going to come his way. So maybe, maybe you would identify 
two or three key temptations where you are tempted on a regular basis, you find yourself sinning in a, re- in a regular way, and you'd find some scriptures to meditate on. For instance, I struggle with controlling my tongue. You know, the gift of communication also has some negative uh, aspects to it. Uh, sometimes I say things I shouldn't say, things I don't want to say, whether it's in a meeting at work with fellow staff members, whether it's over a cup of coffee or lunch with someone, whether it's in my home with my wife, I will tend to say things and think, oh, I didn't really want to say that, and I struggle with that. And so I have looked up in Proverbs. There's several passages in Proverbs that talk about uh, controlling the tongue. I've looked up a passage in James that talks about controlling the tongue. What is, your, what is it for you? Maybe one of the things you could do is say, hey, you know what, I'm str- this is an area of love in my life is a sin, uh, where I'm, I'm tempted to sin. Find, get into God's Word, find some scriptures, and begin to meditate on some of those scriptures. Listen, if I had to give, if I had to give you one skill, if I knew I was going to walk out today and I was going to get hit by a car and this is the last time you were going to see me, here's the one skill that is absolutely critical for you to, to, for you to master and to grow in if you're going to experience God's will for your life, it's meditating on Scripture. It's meditating on Scripture. I want you to read Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14 with me. This is the New Living Translation. The writer of Hebrews says this, There's much more we'd like to say to you about this. He's talking about some various issues. But it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. I should leave that passage up there for a minute. We talked about this last year. We talked about when in the series, Eat the Scroll. We talked about meditating on God's word. To meditate on God's word is to, to chew on it, is to feed yourself on God's word. Meditating on God's word has three basic aspects to it, if you want to take notes here. Number one is to think about it over and over again. Let me tell you a passage I've been thinking about over and over again for a long, long time. John 15, 5. John 15, 5, I've been meditating on for 15 years, my whole Christian walk. God gave me that verse early in my, in my walk with the Lord. And for 15 years, I keep thinking about John 15, 5, over and over and over again. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That left such a profound impact on me early in my relationship with the Lord. I've just been thinking about that over and over again. There's other passages I could go through. You have passages in your own life that you come back to over and over again, that you think about over and over again. What are some scriptures that you need to begin thinking about over and over again in order to come overcome temptation and sin? Meditating on God's word starts with, number one, thinking about it over and over again. Number two, it starts with praying. The word meditate in the scriptures is not, doesn't mean just thinking about or studying. It also means to utter or to speak. It means to talk out loud. It means to engage in conversation. So when we talk to God about the scriptures... We work the scriptures into a conversation with God. We ask him questions about the scripture. We ask him for understanding. We ask him for help. We begin praying the scriptures. So it's thinking about scripture. It's praying the scriptures. And thirdly, it's putting the scriptures into practice. It's obeying the scriptures. That's what it means to meditate on God's word. 
That's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at here in Hebrews chapter 5. He's saying, listen, if you will meditate on God's word, you will, through training, learn the skill of discerning the difference between right and wrong, or what he's saying, to discern the difference between living by the flesh and living according to the spirit. So meditate on God's word. Okay, that leads, so number one, we need to set your mind on the things of the spirit, primarily through studying God's word. Number two, meditating on God's word. Number two, obey the spirit's desires. Obey the spirit's desires. Here's how we, here's how we live according to the spirit. We not only set our minds on it, we obey the spirit's desires. Now, let's look back a couple of chapters in chapter six. In Romans chapter 6, and as we read this, I want you to notice how Paul says either we obey the desires of the flesh or we obey the desires of the Spirit, okay? It's a long passage. Stick with me. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 through 18. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. I want you to pause right there. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign, but sin can reign. That's what he's saying. Sin can reign in you. Sin can still have the power. Though we're free from it, sin, your sinful nature still has the power to control your life. But he's saying, verse 12, he's saying, don't, don't do that. Don't let it, don't do that. How do, we not, how do we keep from letting sin reign in us? How do we keep our sinful nature controlling our life? Don't obey our, our sinful nature's desires. Verse 13, he says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God, to the Holy Spirit, as those who've been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your masters. Listen, sin should not be what you are following. Your sinful nature shouldn't be in control of your life anymore because you're not under law, but you're under grace. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Pause. Here's what, Paul's, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you've been given the gift of salvation. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Your sin is not counted against you anymore. There's no condemnation in, in Christ Jesus, but is that, there's grace for your sin. Your grace, covers, your grace covers all your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. You're covered in grace. But just because you're covered in grace, does that mean you should continue living in sin? Paul says, no, no. He says, by no means. Verse 15, he says, by no means. Don't you know, verse 16, let's keep going, don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, he's saying obedience to the Holy Spirit here, which leads to righteousness? Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart. Listen to the, listen to the priority of obedience. You've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance, living by the Spirit. Verse 18, you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves to righteousness. We don't, listen, here's the, un, here's the good news. This is just unbelievable. We've not only been saved, but God's given us the Holy Spirit. And so now we have an opportunity. You have an opportunity. We have an opportunity that millions of people for thousands of years before Jesus came never had the opportunity. All those people in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. They didn't have the opportunity. What they had? They had the law and their own flesh. And that's why they were so looking forward to the Messiah and the Savior, because then when he came, now all of a sudden we're given the Holy Spirit. We have, an we have an opportunity. We have an amazing opportunity. You and I have an opportunity that millions of God followers before Christ came never had. We have the opportunity to live empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul's saying here in Romans, listen, you're not a, you don't have to be controlled by your sinful flesh anymore. 
you have an opportunity to live by the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And we're either going to obey the sinful desires of our flesh or the righteous desires of the Holy Spirit. And here's why this is really important for each of us to understand and grasp. Because depending on what you choose to obey or how you choose to live, there are serious consequences for your life and the lives of those around us. Jump back to Romans 8 again. Listen to the consequences of our choices. Here's what what Paul is saying in Romans 8. He's saying, here's the gravity. He's trying to get you to understand the weight and the gravity of your decision to whether or not live by the Spirit or live by the flesh. Romans 8, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, the mind governed by the flesh is what? Say it loud. Do you believe that? That's a sobering reality. But the mind governed by the Spirit is what? Life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Verse 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Do you see, do you grasp the weight and the significance of this issue? Some of you are miserable in life. And I'll tell you why you're miserable. You're miserable for the same reason why I'm often miserable in my own life. Because I end up spending seasons of my life living according to the flesh. It's inevitable. Here's my pattern. My pattern is, over the last several years, I've been following the Lord for 15 years. Over the last several years, I've identified a pattern about twice a month. About twice a month, I'll find myself in a two or three day window where I'm just miserable. I'm not, I don't have any joy, I don't have any peace, my heart's unsettled, I'm discontent, I'm usually complaining, I have a bad attitude, and inevitably, by God's grace, he'll kind of just remind me of what's going on. I'm just living according to the flesh, and I'm thinking about the things of the flesh, and I'm following and obeying the desires of my flesh. And then I just kind of reset my heart and my mind to living according to the Spirit. I'm going to show you how to do that in just a minute. But some of you are experiencing a miserable life right now. There's a variety of different factors. This may not be the only reason, but maybe one of the reasons is you've been living according to the flesh. And you need to repent of that and live according to the Spirit. Because Paul says here, the mind governed or led by or influenced by the flesh is death. It produces death in us. I want you to see this image. Here's what this looks like. Put this image up. This is going to be a little kind of hard, hard to read. Uh, the type is small, but I want you to see this. Two columns, right? Column on the left is living by the flesh. Column on the right is living by the spirit. So we said earlier, both the spirit and the flesh have desires. So there are desires and interests. That's hard to read, but it's desires and interest. okay? So your flesh, your sinful nature is producing, is producing desires and interest, and your the Holy Spirit in us has desires and interests, okay? Now, when we act on the flesh, when we act and follow the desires and interests of the flesh, it's called sin. When we act on and follow the desires and interests of the Spirit, it's called righteousness. Now, if we develop a pattern of acting on the flesh and following the flesh, it is living by the flesh. If we develop a pattern of acting on the righteousness and following this Holy Spirit's leading in our life, it's called living by the Spirit. And a life lived according to the flesh produces death. A life lived according to the Spirit produces life. A life fulfilled of, uh, a life that's fulfilling and peaceful. I want you to look at this passage here. Uh, Oh wait, 
Wait, wait. Keep that up. Keep that up. Keep that up. Paul says in Romans 8, keep that up. Keep this up here, this image, that those who uh, are governed by the flesh is death. Now, the word he uses for death in Romans 8, verse 6, is the word thanatos. Thanatos can mean physical death. You, your body dies. Thanatos can mean eternal death in hell, eternal separation from God. But thanatos can also mean the death of life, meaning a miserable life or a life of misery. Thanatos means a misery of the soul. It's marked by distress and discomfort, unsettledness, heartache, and unhappiness. Living according to the flesh will produce a miserable life for you and me. Do you know why most Christians walk their whole life actually this undercurrent of misery in their life? Because they've never learned the skill or understood the importance and the weight and the significance of living according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Living according to the flesh leads to a miserable life. Look at James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. But each person is tempted. There's the desire of the flesh when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. By the way, our flesh, the the Bible describes our fleshly desires as deceitful and as evil. They can't be trusted. Then, after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. So when I act on my sinful desires, it leads to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, when there's a pattern of sin, I'm living according to sin, it gives birth to death, James says. Or how about Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Do not be be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Pause. Don't we always hear that passage quoted? Look at the context of where that passage is. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. See the significance of this? This is weighty. When we choose to live according to the flesh, it has significant consequences. But we also have an amazing opportunity. This is not a, oh, bummer message. This is actually a very exciting message. I'm going to try to convince you that it is. Because we can live according to the Spirit. We have an opportunity. We have an open door, Paul says. We don't have to live according to the flesh. When we set our minds on the desires and things of the Spirit and then act on those desires, that's called an act of righteousness. And when we live that way, we can live a righteous life. And it leads to life. The Greek word for life here in Romans is the word zoe. I know a little bit about this word. I'm kind of familiar with this because our daughter's name is Zoe. And we intentionally named her Zoe because Zoe means the fullness of life or a life of vitality. Isn't that the life we all want to live? Isn't that the life you're looking for? Isn't that the life everyone is searching for in all the wrong places? The Bible says in Romans that, G, that, that our Zoe life, life of vitality is found in living according to the Spirit. My daughter Zoe is full of life. It, she, it's like it, her name, she is her name. I mean, it describes her to a T. This girl is full of joy. She laughs. She has fun. She doesn't have a worry in the world. She just, she, she doesn't, she rarely gets stressed. She's just, she just loves life. She's going to be the one who just keeps us all relaxed in the house, right? Because she's full of life. That's what God wants for us. 
Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes on to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know what word that he uses there? Zoe. Jesus came to give us Zoe life, a life of abundance, a life of vitality. And this is only experienced when we learn to live according to the Spirit. Now, what happens when we sin and recognize we're not living according to the Spirit, but according to the flesh? Okay? Uh, let's go back and put that uh, uh, graphic up of uh, living according to the flesh and living according to the Spirit. Once you sin, how do you get out of the flesh and into the Spirit? You do the next thing the Holy Spirit would want you to do. Okay? For instance, I'm going to use an example, real-life example, uh, this past week. Uh, one of my temptations to, to sin is um, I talk about uh, speaking, um, but specifically I speak harshly. And um, this comes out in my this comes out in my marriage, and so I, I have a I, I have a tendency to speak harshly to my wife, and um, um, this past week I, I I said a few things that I was I was just said I said harshly to her, and so there I'm in there I am I'm acting on the flesh I'm in sin, now how do I get out of that sin and live according to the Holy Spirit how do I in that moment get out of that spot and get back in the Spirit, here's how. I do the next, very next thing that the Holy Spirit would desire or would want me to do, which is what? Number one, humble myself. Number two, confess my sin. First to God, and then go to Paige and confess my sin to her. Number three, ask for forgiveness. Number four, repent of my sin, meaning stop doing it. Uh, number five, I would try to reconcile what I said or what I did wrong. And now all of a sudden, I'm living according to the Spirit because I'm doing what the Spirit would, would, die, would desire. When I humble myself and I confess my sin and I ask for forgiveness and I repent and seek reconciliation with my wife, now all of a sudden I'm acting out of, out of righteousness and I'm living according to righteousness. And if I live this pattern of repentance, a lifestyle of repentance, I'll, I'll live a lifestyle of living according to the Spirit because we're not going to get it right all the time. It's not going to be perfect, but the Holy Spirit always gives us a way back out of the flesh and into the Spirit. Number three, that's what you do next is re return and repent and return to living by the Spirit. So first, you've got to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You've got to think about it. You've got to be intentional. You're going to have to, if you're going to live by the Spirit, overcome sin and temptation in your life, live the life, abundant life that God wants you to live, you're going to have to intentionally think about the things of the Spirit. You're going to have to meditate on God's Word. You're going to have to get in God's Word, pursue the Lord. Number two, you have to obey, obey the Spirit's desires. And number three, when you disobey or you find yourself walking in obedience, disobedience or living in the flesh, you repent and return to living by the Holy Spirit. Paul describes it as uh, repentance as repentance is turning away from sin and turning to God. Repentance is turning away from sin and turning to God. It means you decide to go a different direction, the opposite direction. You, if you've been in church for a while, you know this. But Paul describes repentance in Ephesians 4 as taking off the old and put on the new. Look at Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, uh, your fleshly life, your sinful nature, to put off your old self, to put it off. Stop doing it. Repent of it which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That sinful nature has deceitful desires. Verse 23, but to be made new in the attitude of your minds. He's important. It's important. Our mind, where we set our minds. Verse 24, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Look at that. We were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When God saved us, he didn't just save us so we get a ticket to heaven. He saved us to sanctify us and transform us back into the image of what he created us for. We, as Christians, are created to walk in righteousness and holiness. And we do that 
We don't have to be burdened. It's not a burden. It's a gift. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we can walk by the Spirit. Now, let me, uh, but it takes a, a, a lifestyle of repentance. Let me give you a, just a little kind of practical how to do this, okay? Maybe you've heard of Bill Bright. Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade. He's kind of a personal hero of mine. I never met Bill Bright, but I was uh, witness to. The last guy who shared the gospel with me before I accepted Christ 15 years ago was a Campus Crusade missionary. And so I, 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 early in my walk, I did a little homework about Campus Crusade and, and re- did some reading on Bill Bright, and I'm thankful for him and, and for his ministry. And he, had a, he did a, talked about spiritual breathing. Maybe you've heard this before. But Bill Bright uh, said, here's how you live according to the Spirit and, get out and, and not according to the flesh. If you become aware of an area of your life, an attitude or an action that is displeasing to the Lord, even though you're walking with Him and sincerely desiring to serve Him, simply thank God that He has forgiven you for your sins, past, present, future, because of his death on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, and receive his love and forgiveness by faith and continue to walk in fellowship with him. He says, here's what this looks like. Spiritual breathing is exhaling the impure and inhaling the pure. It's an exercise of faith. So spiritual breathing, exhale. You confess your sin. When you realize you've, con- you've committed a sin, you exhale. <sighs> Lord, I agree with you that that is sinful. I thank you for your forgiveness. It also means repentance. Lord, I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to change my action. And then you inhale. You receive the forgiveness of Christ, and you ask God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One teacher once said, why do you, why do you ask, when someone asked a, a guy once, he said, why do you ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit uh, all the time? He says, because I leak. Every day I leak. The Holy Spirit leaks out of me. So maybe you could practice spiritual breathing. The next time you find yourself walking according to the flesh, then you know you've committed a sin. Exhale, confess it out. Thank him for the forgiveness of sins. Commit to, to changing your attitude, repenting, changing your action. Inhale his forgiveness and be asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, what's the next righteous thing I can do? What's the next thing I can do to walk according to the Holy Spirit? A life of repentance is key to living according to the Spirit. And we can overcome. This is an exciting opportunity for us. Jesus came and he sent us, he, before Jesus, uh, Jesus sent us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit lives in us. And that's good news. And verse, look back at verse 12 of Romans chapter 8. I'm going to end with this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we now have an obligation, Paul says. We have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. I'll fill in the blank. It's to live according to, this, to the Spirit. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. What's an obligation? We have an obligation. The NSB, NASB reads this way. We are under an obligation. Or the ESV reads this. We are debtors. Here's the point. The phrase means this. To be an obligation means to owe someone something, or it better means it means to be have a debt of gratitude. To have a debt of gratitude. Because God has given us his Holy Spirit, we owe it to him, not to earn it, but we owe it out of out of, out of debt of gratitude and out of thanksgiving to live according to and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Pastor James McDonald said this, all who have repented of their sin and embraced Christ by faith have the Holy Spirit in them, and this is called the empowered life. We have an opportunity to live an empowered life. What would, live, what would, what would living according to the Spirit do for your relationship with God? What would living, living according to the Spirit do for your family? How would living according to the Spirit impact your spouse? 
How about your children? How would your children benefit if you were to live according to the Holy Spirit? How about your witness at work or in the neighborhood or at school to non-Christians? How would living by the Holy Spirit, living an empowered life by the Holy Spirit, impact those people around you? What if our whole church, if everybody in this room, what if Genesis Church said, you know what, we're going to be a people, we're going to live according to the Holy Spirit. We're going to take this seriously. We're going to live empowered lives. What could God do? What could God do in our church family? What could God do through our church family? How could our next generation be impacted? Who could be one to Christ because we live according to the Holy Spirit? We have an amazing opportunity. Let's take God at his word. Let's be a church family who obeys and, and, and holds God to his promise that those who live according to the Spirit will experience life and peace and bear much fruit. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're not sure you even have the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ and maybe you've never put your faith and your trust in him and maybe you've never repented for that first time. And maybe you're ready to do that. I'd love to talk with you about your relationship with God right after uh, the service ends. I'll be right up front. I'd love to talk with you. you. Come and talk. I'd love to pray with you about your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord, but you've never been baptized. We have baptism service, as Danielle mentioned, coming up in just a few weeks. You know, the baptism is not optional in the scriptures. Baptism is a command. Those who claim to put their faith and trust in Christ, the Bible commands that you repent and be baptized, that you would publicly express your faith in Christ through baptism. We'd love to see you take that next step. Maybe you need to come up and say, hey, I want to sign up to be baptized. Whatever God's laid on your heart to do, I pray that you will walk out of here following the Spirit's lead in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your Son. Thank you so much for the good news that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've been given salvation and there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but better than that, you gave us your Holy Spirit and we have an opportunity to live according to the Spirit and we can overcome the sinful, our sinful nature, the temptations of our flesh. We can live an empowered, victorious life in the Spirit. God, would you help us do that? Help us, Lord. We need your help. Help us as a church family live according to your Spirit, God. And I pray that you would do immeasurably more in us and through us than we could ever imagine. I pray this in Jesus' name.